upon line, precept upon precept of what the Bible says. And that, at times, will bring us to topics that we don't want to talk about. I was talking with Pastor Steve this evening. We're, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We are in the midst of it. We'll be beginning in verse number 27 of Matthew chapter 5. And it is not what you would call a comfortable topic. But Jesus addressed it. The Word of God has it recorded for us. And whether I want to or don't want to address it, one of the benefits of expository preaching is when you come up on the passage, you've got to address it. You've got to speak about it. I know we have young people in the audience today, and so I'm going to be very careful with my wording. I'm going to be very careful with my wording. I'm sorry, parents, if it generates questions, but the wording that I will use will be so gentle compared to what your children might stumble upon on YouTube or TikTok or just turning on the television that I imagine you will probably have questions from that long before you have questions from your children about what I'll be speaking about tonight. Adult content... Adult material, the kind that's, that's pornographic, and I'll leave that term here at the beginning, is really a cancer to our society, and it only continues to grow. Over 28,000 users are watching adult content every second on the internet. Over $3,000 is being spent on adult content on the internet every second. One in five mobile searches, that means from your phone, one in five are for adult content. Think about how many things you look up on your phone in a day. And then imagine how much other people must look at. And if you don't use your phone a lot, there are people who look up countless things every day. One in five. One in four teens, teenagers, have received explicit text messages with pictures and video clips. 51% of all male students and 32% of all female students have viewed adult content before their teenage years. Did you hear that? Before their teenage years. What has caused this obsession to where we are today in our society where it has become commonplace to include things like fornication and adultery in television and no one bats an eye? No one even thinks that it's inappropriate when we see it in shows or in movies. It's become increasingly acceptable even to the point where adults are telling children it's not a problem. Not only does it contribute to failed marriages and relationships, it also is one of the driving factors in things like modern-day slavery or human trafficking, drug use, and violence towards women. It's not just become acceptable, it's also become very accessible. It's right there in your pocket no matter where you go. And sadly, it's not just a problem out there, it's a problem inside of the church. It's a problem inside of the church. Do you want to know it was startling? I, I did a little bit of research on this, and it said that one in seven youth pastors admitted to looking at adult content over the past month, and one in five senior pastors. I'm not sure what kind of churches they did that they polled in order to find that out or how accurate it is, but that came from a, a white paper on the topic. Believers, including church leaders, are oftentimes slaves to it. And we pretend as though that is a problem out there and because it's so easily hidden and you don't have to go to one of those kind of stores to find anything anymore. You don't have to browse even to a certain section of a larger store. You can just find it without seemingly any consequences that we're fooling ourselves if we think that our churches are not riddled with it. The argument comes from the other side, but is it really so bad? Is it really so bad? I'm not engaging in risky activity because I'm just looking at things. 
I'm not hurting anybody. Is it really such a problem? I'm not doing anything, so it's not really wrong. Well, surprisingly, Jesus Christ addresses this topic, this issue, in his famous Sermon on the Mount. And perhaps he doesn't address it dealing with the modern-day epidemic of the Internet and adult uh, material that's on there, but he goes even deeper in a way that covers this. It says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 27, the Word of God reads, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would open your word to us, that you would deal deeply with your people, that you would accomplish tonight what you desire to accomplish. Help us now in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus Christ is preaching this sermon to crowds of people in the countryside, most likely on some sort of mount or, or large hill near the Sea of Galilee. He was often, in, early in his ministry, traveling around the area of Galilee, and he would go from town to town into synagogues, and he would preach the good news of the kingdom, and he started to gain a following, and they started to follow him literally, that when they saw him, they would just walk after him until he stopped and taught. And apparently, a large crowd had gathered, and he begins teaching things that are contrasting the old, dead religious ways that the unbelieving Jewish leaders had been putting out there now for hundreds of years with the true intent of what the Word of God was supposed to mean and do in the hearts of people. There were these teachers known as the Pharisees and the scribes, and they were, on the outside, very clean-living, holy, religious people. But on the inside, Jesus said that they were filled with dead men's bones. They were like vipers. They were like snakes. And he said, there's something wrong with them so that they're close to me with their lips, but they're far from God in their hearts. And they were teaching a very dead form of religion. And that was what happened with most people by the time that Jesus Christ came onto the scene bodily. And so he begins here contrasting what they have heard of old versus what God is really after. In verse 27, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. You've all been taught this. You've all heard this. You've been taught these things since probably you were a child. If you had any kind of religious teaching in your upbringing from the synagogue or the temple, wherever you are, Jewish people, you would have heard this saying. And he says, by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. We have the writings in our Bible before the life of Christ on earth is our Old Testament. Those that we have after Jesus Christ came bodily on this earth is the New Testament. And into the Old Testament, Jesus is, is quoting scripture, saying, when Moses gave the law, he said, thou shalt not commit adultery, prohibiting that. By the way, it's a good thing to have scripture to back up what it is you believe. It's a very good thing to have Scripture to back up what it is you believe. It's even better to read Scripture, let it inform you on what's true, and then believe that. Rather than trying to find something that agrees with your belief, we ought to go to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to speak for itself. 
but to just have folk religion. And unfortunately, even in some churches like ours, there is a folk religion that comes out there where people think that all sorts of things are in the Bible and they're really not in the Bible. And so we have to go back to the word of God and say, what did the Lord say? Jesus quotes the Old Testament. And he says, thou shalt not commit adultery. What is adultery? That is having or taking somebody that is not your husband or wife in a way that is only meant for your husband and wife. It is taking someone that does not belong to you. It is being unfaithful to a covenant, to a promise that you've made. You see, marriage is not a contract that you make down at City Hall. That may be what it has been watered down to, but marriage was first instituted by the Lord. Before there ever was government, before there ever was the church, there was the family. The cornerstone of that was a solemn promise, a covenant between a husband and wife and the Lord. One man, one wife, for a lifetime, a promise, a monogamous promise to be true to one another in all things. In fact, to become so much one that the Bible says that they'll leave their mother and father and they will become one flesh. They will separate from their dearest connections on earth, which is a child and their parents, to form an even dearer one, which is with their spouse. And to violate that, to break that, was one of what we might call the Big Ten, right? One of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It is one of the most terrible things, and you can tell what, guy, what God thinks about it by looking back in Leviticus chapter 20. When God gave the law to the nation of Israel, he didn't just give them uh, some religious beliefs. He gave them a whole pattern for how they would govern their nation. We are not in the nation of Israel. We are in New Testament times. This is the church age, and we are a part of the New Testament church, so we don't live under the same rules for the nation of Israel as they were given in the Old Testament. But look at what was the punishment for this in Leviticus 20 in verse number 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. It was a death penalty. It was a crime punishable by death. You might say, why, why is it that God did that? Well, we're not told all the details of it, but here's what we do know. Faithfulness is important to God. Faithfulness is important to God. He is perfectly faithful. And oftentimes, if you read through, for example, the book of Jeremiah or the book of Hosea, you'll see God using the word adultery to describe what's, what it's like when his people walk away from the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jehovah of the Old Testament, the Jesus of the New, when they walk away from that and they worship Baal and they worship Molech and they worship Astaroth, which are the other gods and goddesses of the pagan nations around them. He says, it's as though you broke your marriage covenant with me. We were promised to each other. You were my people, and I was your God, and you went off, and you committed spiritual adultery. That Christ and the church are also a picture of marriage, and what it is that Christ thinks about the church and how he cares for the church as a groom and a bride. There is great emphasis placed on there. But it's something that was so terrible, it's punishable by death. And it goes beyond the physical. In Proverbs chapter 6, would you look there with me in Proverbs chapter 6? In Proverbs chapter 6, it 
in Proverbs chapter 6, in verse number 32. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. You might say, this is something where perhaps I'm destroying my body, I'm polluting my body, I'm perhaps even infecting my body. But the Bible takes it a step further and says, you are destroying your own soul. If you have been made one in body and in soul and in spirit with your spouse, and you break that, you are doing damage to yourself on more than a physical level. You are doing damage to yourself and to your spouse and to those around you on the level of your soul and also on your spirit. It is something that goes very, very deep. There's absolutely no room for it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Another word that's oftentimes thrown out there alongside adultery is the concept of fornication which is any kind of physical intimacy outside of God's design. This could be before marriage. This could be after marriage. This could be uh, someone of the, the same sex. It could be someone of the opposite sex. It could be involving multiple people. Anything that's outside of God's divine design of one man and one woman in holy matrimony for life falls under that category. It's forbidden from God's people. And you might say, that's not really new. We learned that in Sunday school when we learned the Ten Commandments. We know not to do that. We know not to do that. And then Jesus takes it deeper into the heart. Verse number 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now hold on a second. Hopefully, and perhaps you can't, but hopefully you and I could say, well, I've checked off that box. At least I haven't done that. I may have done some bad things, but at least I haven't committed adultery. That's some, I've been true to my marriage vows, and that's cared for. And now Jesus takes it to a place where he says, if you look, and whosoever, by the way, whosoever, just as much as whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and it's open to anybody, whosoever shall look upon a woman, it's also for everybody. Meaning that it doesn't matter how clean living you are in other areas. If you do this, it's still wrong. It doesn't matter how long you've been in a church or how much money you've made or how successful you've been in other areas. It doesn't matter if you serve. It doesn't matter if you hold a position of leadership. Nothing excuses you from this commandment. And it says, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, to desire what is not yours, to covet it, to wish it was yours, to imagine it being yours, to fantasize about it being yours. It says that you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. Someone might say to defend themselves, I didn't touch her, I didn't touch him, it never went that far. But if it was in your heart, it's as though you've committed it. It's no less of a sin. And then you might ask yourself and say, well, then, then let's be realistic. Nobody passes this test. Exactly. Nobody passes this test. Jesus takes it to a whole... Remember, last time we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, he said, thou shalt not kill. You've heard it said. But I want you to know, if you hate your brother without a cause, in fact, if you speak words to tear him down, you are just as guilty as a murderer. Uh-oh. So it's not just about doing the outward things, but God is very much interested in what goes on inside of our hearts. Because that's really where it begins, isn't it? 
It doesn't say whosoever sees or looks on a woman, but looks on a woman to lust after her. The first look may be an accident. The second look isn't. The first look might be an accident. The second look isn't. And we live in a society where people dress in such a way where they, they flaunt the skin. They just throw it out there for everybody to see. I remember as a young man on the state of the Ohio, uh, uh, at the campus of Ohio State, walking around the Oval, where there's all sorts of uh, pathways and grass areas and there's people playing Frisbee and all that, and as soon as it gets warm enough and sunny enough, everyone's out there sunbathing. And by everyone, I mean all of the girls are out there sunbathing. And you don't wear a lot if you're going to sunbathe. And so I'm trying to keep my mind pure and I'm walking to class like this. Because frankly, how can you trust yourself? How can you trust yourself? You see, it starts in the heart. We're already in Matthew. Let's look at Matthew 15. God is very concerned with what happens inside of us. Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. You see, how does a person end up murdering someone? How does a person end up breaking their vows and committing adultery or engaging in fornication or stealing or lying and destroying someone's character or speaking evil against God? How do they end up doing those things? Well, they thought them first. They thought them first. They were inside of them. They were in their hearts and they allowed, that person allowed it to take purchase inside of them. They allowed the hatred to bubble over and it turned into murderous thoughts, which then turned into murderous words, which then turned into murderous action. You say, how does somebody end up breaking their vows? Well, they allowed those unfaithful thoughts to take purchase inside of their mind. And they, they allowed themselves to go down that road and to think things that they ought not think and to fantasize about things. And then it led to flirting and it led to what people might call harmless flirting or that ridiculous idea of that's my work husband or that's my work wife. Someone that you rely on and you partner up with at your place of business like you partner up with your spouse at home. And it turns into something that it ought not turn into physically, but it all began in the heart. It all began in the heart. And so we have to address it in the heart. And that's where Jesus takes it to. He says, do you think that God is pleased that even though you kept your hands off of him, you kept your hands off of her, you haven't kept your mind off of them? He says, that's not going to do it. That's not going to do it. Look in Proverbs chapter 4. In Proverbs chapter 4, we're warned about our hearts. We're warned to guard our heart, to keep it like a hidden treasure. Proverbs 4 and verse number 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. All of the matters of our life spring forth like a wellspring, like the source of a river from our heart. The good that is in our heart comes out into our words and to our actions. The generosity that is inside of us comes out into our words and into our actions. The love, all of it starts there, the good things as well as the bad. And whatever the Bible says, and we've looked at that in the heart of the matter, our sermon series, if you haven't been around for that, I encourage you to go back and look at it, that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Whatever on the inside comes on the outside. Another passage in Proverbs, and for time's sake, we won't dive deep into it, says, can you really walk on hot coals and not have your feet been burned? Can you really take that fire onto your breast and not have it go through your clothes and burn you? Meaning, that how, how far do you think that you can hold on to this thing and have it not affect you? How far do you think that you can envision and think the thoughts that we ought not think and end up there? And this most definitely includes adult material, adult content. This most definitely includes that. A startling statistic, 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women, Christian women say that they watch adult content at least once a month. Now, how much of that do you think is actually going on in churches like ours? Probably more than we would expect. It's very easy to say, oh, it's that church down the road that doesn't preach against sin and they, they don't talk about walking in the Spirit and they don't make a big deal about um, living a, a sanctified life. Maybe it's them. No, I'd say that there's a whole lot more of it that goes on even here. You see, it is everywhere. It is everywhere. The age has since been raised because it's, it's probably right around 12 years old now is the average age of exposure to adult content for your average male. They see hardcore adult content by the age of 12. Though in 2001, James, McDow James McDowell put out a book called Just One Click Away, and he said that the average age was eight the first time they see it. And where are they finding it? Well, they're finding it on the internet. How are they finding it on the internet? Because the people who make it want to turn your children into merchandise. The people that make it want to make them addicted because it is a business. Back in the early 2000s, the number that I found was it was a $3.3 billion industry every year. Think about that. B, billion, billion with a B. There's all sorts of new virtual reality technology being developed right now. Stuff for the NFL, where it can look like you're in the game and you're running around getting hit. Stuff for video games. In fact, by 2025, they estimate that the industry amount of money that video games through VR make will be somewhere around $1.4 billion a year. The VR video game industry will become that. And you say, okay, that's interesting. VR for adult content will be only slightly behind it at a billion dollars. They are making merchandise of our children, and the earlier they get them hooked, the more they build clients for themselves in the future. The more they normalize that kind of behavior. Do you realize what it does to a young person to have that be their first introduction to what intimacy looks like? Because young people today are so inundated with that and they think that's what that looks like, they talk with women on college campuses and they say, if I don't give them the same vile services that they see on the internet, then I can't hold on to a man. Because that's what they think it looks like. A whole generation is being poisoned. It's like a cancer that's, that's eating us and we think there's no harm to it. But people don't have any idea how to interact with one another now in a romantic way that's appropriate. They assume that that's fine. Think about how many sitcoms, how many uh, romance comedies, how many movies come out 
where people maybe hold off to the second or third date before they get intimate with someone. Think about how, and some of you by your age range are probably not aware of what goes on, but there are several dating apps that really pay very little attention to the dating part of it, and it's just on-call services. Hey, you up for it? I match with you online, don't know you, but you're within driving distance. It's like Uber. Hey, look, there's an Uber, there's a Lyft within about 15 minutes of me. It can pick me up at this time. And they do that with a partner who maybe they never talk to again. There's some for women finding men and men finding women, and there's some for men finding men and, and women finding women. It's commonplace. Some of you are horrified hearing this, and the young people are like, you didn't know about that? Like, everybody knows about that. That's, that's where we have arrived. And it goes back to the issue inside of the heart. It's not enough just to say, don't do that thing. We have to start in the heart because by the time we get there, if we've indulged in the heart, it's going to overflow. It is going to overflow once they get themselves put in a situation they ought not be in. Look in verses 29 and 30. We, we're going to have a little lesson tonight on how not to maim yourself. It says in verse 29, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Let's also read verse 30 right after it. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. What? So, so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, this, is, this is weird. Is Jesus actually telling people that they should rip their eye out if their eye is causing them to lust after a woman? Is he actually telling them to cut their hands off so they don't touch someone that doesn't belong to them? Is that actually what he's talking about? This brings us to something that's called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the fancy term that people use in Bible college and seminary to talk about how to interpret the scriptures. It deals with the knowledge of interpreting what the Bible has to say. And so normally we would say something like this, and, and I th think we have a slide for it. If the plain sense makes sense, then seek no other sense, right? So if you read the Bible, remember the Bible is written from God to man so that God can reveal himself. It is God's revelation. It's inspired by God. You know what we can take that to mean? That God wants us to understand it. He didn't write it intentionally to be cryptic. He didn't hide a bunch of secret codes in it where if you vary up the numbers and you put this in here, it creates some diagram for the Illuminati or something, right? There's nothing like that. He wrote us a document with the intention that you and I would understand it. And so when someone tells you a plain statement, like I went to the store, you would take that to mean, literally, they went to the store. There was a store, it sold things, that person changed locations and actually went there. It happened. It is the plain sense of it. It is the plain sense of the term. And when we read things like, thou shalt not commit adultery, the plain sense makes sense, doesn't it? We don't need to try and find some way to spiritualize it. All sorts of people throughout history have gotten themselves in trouble by moving away from the plain sense of the Bible and trying to make passages that are straightforward into something that is a metaphor, figurative language, right? Uh, if how many of you remember a type of figurative language from your days in English? Anybody remember a type? 
April, tell me a type. Didn't you raise your hand? Metaphor. Metaphor, perfect. Simile. What's another one? Hyperbole, yes. An idiom? What's an onomatopoeic expression? Will? Not that. That's alliteration. Onomatopoeia? Ouch, bang, zoom, right? And then there's a synecdoche. Don't, don't worry about that one. That one's super fancy, okay? Here's, here, and personification, where you make something that's not alive, alive. This is hyperbole. Verses 29 and 30, Jesus, well, we, well, maybe Jesus was serious. Well, let's look through the gospel records. How many times do we read about people pulling their eyes out? How many times do we see people cutting their hands off? Okay, well, maybe that just didn't start until uh, the church was empowered at Pentecost. So let's go through the book of Acts. How many times do we read about people cutting their hands off or plucking their eyes out? No, I didn't find that in the book of Acts either. What about in the pastoral epistles? Didn't Paul tell all of the people in Corinth that were so wicked because they were, they were committing terrible sins with family members that ought not be done? He didn't tell them to cut their hands off. So if, if we're looking at this and it's not making sense, then we probably ought to look at this might be figurative language. And so what he's saying is, cut, by the way, plucking out your eye because it's getting you in trouble or cutting off your hand because it's getting you in trouble, that's, often, that, that's pretty extreme, don't you think? Isn't that awfully extreme? So here is what he's getting at. Extreme measures need to be taken to keep us from sin. Extreme measures need to be taken when we address or deal with sin. And you say, what is an extreme measure today to deal with sin? Well, there's lots of things. We'll give some, some examples here in a minute. But he uses this hyperbole, which is making over-exaggerated claims where we don't want you to actually do that thing or believe those claims, but we're doing it to give you intensity of it. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Could you really eat a horse? I can't really eat a horse, no matter how hungry I was. Horses are big. And first of all, I don't want to eat a horse. How many of you have ever eaten horse? right? I did overseas. I don't need to do it again. <laughs> it wasn't great. It wasn't great. I'm so tired I could die. Well, maybe, but probably not. I'm sick as a dog. Well, how sick is a dog anyway, right? We make these statements where we don't actually, we're not telling that that's what we're you say, he, he was driving a thousand miles an hour on the highway, scared me to death. Well, he wasn't actually driving a thousand miles an hour. All of that is hyperbole. We have to be very careful because some people that don't want the Bible to say what it says will try and use and say, oh, well, that's just, that's just spiritualizing it. But we don't see anybody cutting, out, cutting off their hands or plucking out their eyes. So Jesus here is talking about the intensity with which we address sin. We go to extremes to remove it. And he repeats it again in verse 30 as well. So let's draw a few applications from this. Let's draw a few applications from this. The first thing is to guard your heart. The first thing is to guard your heart. Since all of this trouble begins in your heart, we need to guard it. We need to watch what we're putting into our eye gate and our ear gate. Remember that little 
children's song that maybe you sung in Sunday school. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the same thing. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. The things that we let in, they start to build up and they stay there. And then they start to cause real problems. And after a while, the things were just on the inside start to work their way outside. And so we begin at the beginning. We watch what we're looking at. And so, literally, watch what you're looking at. Don't let your eyes linger where they ought not linger. Today, and this is the crazy thing, people oftentimes, ladies don't really want to see men in revealing clothes. It just doesn't have the same effect. So oftentimes, it's ladies wearing revealing clothes that draws men's attention just because of how men are. And the, the ladies wear oftentimes revealing clothes because they think that they look cute in it. And the ironic thing is they're not even dressing up for the guys. They're dressing up for the other ladies so that they say that, oh, your outfit looks cute. Because if we say your outfit looks cute, we're a creep. And nobody wants to hear that, right? But the first, the first look might be an accident, but the second look is problematic. The second look is problematic. We need to watch what we're thinking. Wow, he actually takes care of himself. He, he, he looks pretty good. You know what? He listens to me. I wish my husband listened to me. He actually seems to care what I'm thinking. He's always got something kind to say to me. My husband just complains when I'm at home with him. Or I think he's into me. I think he looked at me. I think he looked at me again. I bet we work out good as a couple. You know, if things were different and I wasn't married and time and place was a little bit different. I wonder when I drop this off if I can go by his desk. Or when I'm on that job site, I wonder if I'll see her. And then we start to allow our, our minds to dwell on those things. It's just a little bit of flirtation. By the way, never talk badly about your spouse, period. But especially don't talk badly about your spouse to a member of the opposite sex. That is grounds for terrible things to be sown and you'll reap a terrible harvest from it. Oh, I'd never do that to you. Oh, he doesn't know what he's got. She doesn't know what she's got. And then it begins, and it grows even further inside of our hearts. No flirting, period. There's no such thing as harmless flirting. And the idea of having a work husband or a work wife is reprehensible and not okay. You say there's nothing physical there your heart will be given away long before the physicality comes. And in fact, can sometimes be more long-term damaging than just a wild physical thing because your heart has been stolen. Don't give another person that doesn't belong to you room in your heart and in your mind. Do you know why? They don't belong to you. And it will never end well. Guard your heart. Second of all, we need to break free we need to break free. If you're involved in looking at adult content, you need to be free from that. It is not okay. It enslaves you. It was designed to enslave you. Did you know that? It was designed to enslave you twofold. Once by your enemy, and the other by wicked men who would seek to make money off of you. Once by your enemy, the devil, and then by wicked men who would seek to make money of you. Do you think that those people in this industry care one bit about what happens to your family? 68% of all divorces report that at least one person in the marriage had an obsessive relationship with adult content. 
68% of all divorces. Think about that. And more than half of all marriages end in divorce, so do some numbers there. Crunch some numbers. It is a vile thing. But here's what it is. We're so ashamed we don't seek any help. And you say to yourself, I'm never looking at that again. I'm never watching that. I'm never going to read that. I'm never going to listen to that. And then we go back and we do it anyway. We pick the book back up, pick the magazine back up. More likely you pick your phone back up and you look at what you ought not look at. And you hate yourself for it. But then you just do it again. And then you hate yourself for it. And then you just do it again. But you and I are so ashamed thinking that it's something so unique to us and, and good Christians don't struggle with this and there's no one I could possibly talk to about it. You're going to probably need two things. One of them you'll definitely need. The second thing you probably will need. The first thing is there is no way for you, believer, to be free from this bondage, from this slavery without the Lord delivering you. No amount of filters, and I'm for filters. No amount of accountability partners or turning your computer screen so it faces the room. No amount of, of changing what kind of phone you have, setting parental controls. None of that is going to do the job in the end. None of bouncing your eyes away by itself is enough. None of taking the second look and, and not looking is going to do it by itself. You need something done in your heart, and only God can change your heart. And the second thing that you probably will need is a pastor or a Christian counselor to help you. Do you know how many people just quit heroin, cold turkey, and make it by themselves? Not very many people. Less than 4% of people that use drugs, opiates like heroin, ever get clean and stay clean. And the vast majority of those, they don't do it by themselves. There are entire programs, there are places where they go away and live somewhere else where their freedoms are taken away because they can't control themselves. They couldn't do it on their own. Do you think that this is any less addictive? Do you think that there's any less of a chemical component to it? The dopamine addiction that we have from looking at certain things? Do you think that there's any, any chance that you and I are going to do that on our own? My guess is no. My guess is no. It will take the power of the Lord and someone helping you through it. Here's the big question. Are you willing to ask for help? Are you willing to go to the Lord and to call it what it is and admit that it's sin, but then also speak to someone who can actually help you with it? I was in sixth grade the first time I saw this, this kind of stuff. Sixth grade. How old would that have made me? 11? 12? Older brother brought it into the house, and it was the worst kind of stuff you could imagine. The worst kind of stuff that you could imagine. And it takes hold on somebody, and they can go their whole life without ever doing battle because it's so embarrassing, and it's really culturally kind of accepted nowadays. You can be free from it. In fact, you need to. You don't even realize the toll that it's taking on you. You don't understand what it's doing to your own soul. You don't understand what it's doing to your marriage, if you are indeed married. You don't understand what it's doing to your view of members of the opposite sex. You don't understand what it's doing just to the hardwiring in your brain. The wonderful gift that God gives to marriage of physical intimacy, by the way, it is wonderful and it is a gift of God. It was designed to be pleasurable and the Bible says it ought to be pleasurable and it ought to be frequent inside of the marriage covenant. There is nothing to be ashamed of inside of there. Absolutely. 
Do you think that the, the chemicals that are released inside of your own mind when looking at this stuff, excuse me, when using this stuff, excuse me, do you think that that's not going to mess you up when there's not another physical person there, especially if it's not your spouse? Do you think there's no damage that comes from that? Most certainly. Most certainly. And it needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed extremely in an extreme manner. And that brings us to our third point. We need to go to extremes to remove sin from our lives. Sin is so terrible and so destructive and so poisonous that if we let it run its course, it will destroy the things that matter the most to us. Removing your eye to prevent looking at a woman lustfully is pretty extreme and cutting off your hand to not touch someone that doesn't belong to you is pretty extreme. So, Jesus is talking about do what must be done in order to be free from it. You may need to no longer go certain places. If you can't stay away from the bottle, then you don't need to go where they serve alcohol. And you say, well, then I won't go to bars. Friend, you might not, you might not be able to go to gas stations. If that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. You say, that's extreme. Yep. If you could have done it with spare time and spare change, you probably would have done it already. So I think extremes are absolutely necessary. Maybe you need to have your money and your credit cards taken away. Maybe you need to be given an allowance and have to turn in receipts to someone in your life that loves you to prevent yourself from doing these things. We know, we know that at the end of the day, it will be the Lord that delivers us from sin. These are extreme measures, but what they provide is space for the Spirit of God to work. If I can make it as hard as possible for me to get to that sin or get to the place where I can do that sin or get my hands on that stuff, if I can make it as hard as possible, it gives me more time for the Spirit of God to work on me and convict me not to do it. It gives me more time to be prompted by the Spirit of God to call somebody to help me so that I don't do what I'm thinking about. Whether it's using, whether it's drinking, whether it's looking at this stuff, you may need to go back to a flip phone. You really may. You may need to have no phone. This, this is radical. You say, how could I leave my house without a phone? Well, how many of you were alive before 2010? Right? You didn't have an iPhone until then. You might have had a BlackBerry or a PDA, but your internet was so slow and so terrible and web pages weren't made to be looked at those things, you couldn't hardly do anything with them. But we sure paid a lot of money for them. And you didn't die in the 90s without it. And you didn't die in the 80s without it. And you didn't die in the 70s without it. You may need to do that. This is a whole different topic, but our obsession with screens and technology, and we're going to get there. We're going to have a phone fast here in, in March from screen time. We're going to see how many people are willing to sign up and to do the hard thing and to just watch how crazy it is that knowing that your phone's not on your body, but you still reach for it. It's like a phantom limb. It really is. You may, you may need to do something extreme. You may need to get the internet cut to your house. You may need to cancel your streaming services. You may need to go to bed at the same time as your spouse. You may need to ghost that person that you should have ghosted a long time ago to not return their calls, to block any of their text from them because you know that you have moved too far in a direction you ought not move with that person. You may need to get a new job. 
You may need to find a new school to go to. Nothing that's righteous should be off the table. We need to enter into rigorous, if this is you, we need to enter into rigorous biblical counseling, intense discipleship, beginning this week. Nothing is too extreme to deal with this because of the, see, Jesus said, it's enough to destroy you. It's enough to destroy you. Wouldn't it be good to get rid of the thing that's going to destroy you? And you say, yeah, well, it's going to cost something. How many of you have ever had a loved one that was an addict? Any of you ever had a loved one that was an addict? I have. Did you know that there's help that people want on their own terms? And then there's the real place where they get when they're willing to accept the help that they need. You see, some people are saying, oh yeah, I'm willing to get clean, I'm willing to get rid of this, I'm willing to stop that, I'm willing to confess what's wrong, up to a certain point. But I'm not willing to go past that. You know that person who draws lines? They're never going to get free. I've never seen it happen. They'll say things like, well, I can't go away for six months. I can't do this, I can't do that, and then they, they never end up free. But the people who come to you and they're like, whatever it takes, I'm willing to do it. Whatever it takes, help me. That's extreme. That's extreme. And you've seen the difference if you've ever had a loved one successfully get clean or get sober and stay sober. They have to be willing to endure a lot of humiliating type behavior because they can't control themselves. It's sad. But if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment? I want to thank you for your good attention tonight. And this is not an easy topic. And I don't expect the altars to be full. I don't expect a lot of people to come forward and, and say, oh yes, I've, I've been captured and enslaved in heart and mind by this filth that's out there. I don't expect people to come forward and confess that they've been unfaithful at some point in time. But here's, here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to listen to what the Spirit of God is telling you. If there is something that this message that I didn't even want to preach, something that it has touched on in your life, and you've never brought it to the Lord before, it's time to do that. It's time to call it what it is, to own it, and to ask for forgiveness for it. Maybe you need to start talking with somebody. You've gone to the Lord and you've asked Him for forgiveness, but you find yourself stuck in the same cycle and you've never, you've never been open enough to talk with a pastor or with a counselor. You say, what magic power, pastor, do you have to help me get off? I don't have a thing. But something does change when you bring somebody else in. When somebody knows, when somebody prays for you, when somebody can give you accountability. When you're not just fighting by yourself. It does make a difference. There's godly counsel from the Word of God. There's power in memorizing the Scripture and hiding it in our hearts so that we don't sin against the Lord. There's ways of looking at life. There's ways of dealing with conflict that will if we do it biblically, keep us from these things. 
young people, make the decision that you're going to be pure. Make the decision that you're going to be pure. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. When you see it, leave it. Don't look into it. It's not interesting. It's not okay. It's not funny. It's a trap. It's a trap designed by someone who understands you too well. The only choice is to flee from it, to flee youthful lust. Maybe you're here today and you just want to pray for your children, that they would not be swept up or trapped by this. Maybe you know somebody who has shipwrecked their life because they were unfaithful and you want to pray for God to work in their heart and to restore perhaps what's been broken or at least to give that person peace. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as Savior. I would never want to have a church service, though this is more for believers than it is for somebody who's not a believer. But if you have trusted Christ as Savior, in just a moment we're going to stand and sing. I'll be down here at the head of this aisle. You can just slip out of your seat and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. And someone will take you aside privately, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady. And you can know for sure when you leave today that your sins are forgiven. You can see it for yourself in the Word of God. Whatever it is that the Lord has brought to your mind, would you say yes to Him? Father, take this time of invitation and may you be victorious in the hearts of people. May you set people free from their shame and from their, their misery. Help them, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.